growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The big picture biblical principle looks like this. Good news comes down and bad news falls down. One angel brings a message of hope. The other angel brings a message of doom. Have you ever heard the joke about the man that always prayed that when he died, he'd get to sing in the choir in heaven? Well, he prayed that prayer every day, and then one night the Lord sent an angel to the man with a message, and the angel said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you're going to get to sing in the choir in heaven when you die. Uh, The man was very excited about that, and he couldn't wait to tell everybody at church. And then he asked the angel, well, what's the bad news? And the angel said, the bad news is that your audition is tomorrow morning at 9. And with that humorous story, we set the stage for today's message for a very serious subject. The same message that you and I are challenged and charged with bringing to the world around us. Remember, the word gospel simply means good news. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, today in Revelation chapter 14, God sends a couple of angels to deliver good news and bad news. God charges an angel to come down with good news. Give one more announcement before the second angel comes and announces that the evil empire of the Antichrist will fall down. It will come crashing down under the weight of God's judgment. That's just the way it's going to be. Now, as Pastor Clay is going to explain, from a Christian's perspective, the news is all good. But for those who will be living on the earth during the Great Tribulation period who are not followers of Jesus, the announcement of God's judgment will not be welcome news. We're glad you've joined us as the Revelation series continues on Crosswalk. In the study of the book of Revelation, where we've come to in our study in Revelation chapter 14, we are learning that the people who will be living during that time period are rapidly running out of options for their lives. If you've been with us in this study, you know that John, the Apostle John, the John that, that was part of the, the original Apostles with Jesus, John that wrote the Gospel of John and First and Second and Third John, three letters of John. The same John has been exiled. He's been put on the island of Patmos. It's a small island off the coast of Greece. Now he's been put there by the Romans to, in essence, shut him up and to stop the spread of Christianity. You know, even in that is a great lesson. For our lives. There is no time in which you are not usable by God. There is no time in your life when you are not usable by God. And there's no place that you can be where God cannot use you to accomplish his purposes. The Romans thought that they were putting John out of the way. When they were in fact by the providence of God actually putting John exactly where he could best be used by God at that stage of John's life. To bring the message that God desired for John to bring to us. A message that tells the story of how God winds this whole thing up. A message of prophecy that tells of the future events that will transpire at the end of time. At the end of the age whenever God knows that that is. It is a message that has been talked about since the day John penned it. 
Christians the days John penned it nearly 2,000 years ago. We are taking a full year to study this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. For one, because we need to know what God wants us to know. And for another reason, because, did you know this is the only book in the Bible that comes with a specific blessing to those who read and study it? This is the only one. Now, I'm not saying that the other books aren't good and profitable either. They certainly are, and there's certainly instruction that we can receive from them. But only the book of Revelation comes with a specific promise of blessing to those who will open it, read it, and study it. Not everyone believes it, of course. But as I've said many times in my life, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. I'm putting my money on him. We're in Revelation chapter 14, just three verses this morning. Verses 6 through 8. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Father, uh, thank you so much for today and again the privilege of being here. Thank you for the truth of your word. There is much to learn, much that you desire uh, to give to us that is applicable from your entire book and certainly from this last book, the book of Revelation, that pertains not only to the end times, Lord God, but, but has impact and meaning for our lives right now, or at least I think it should. And so for the people gathered here today, I'm so grateful that they've come out first-time guests or long-time attender or somewhere in between. Thank you that we have the privilege of being here. And as we open your word, we're just asking you to fill us with your wisdom and your knowledge and that through all of it, you would be honored and glorified and that you would accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Just three verses. But I think there's a lot to say in here. John starts out in verse 6 with this phrase, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel. Flying in mid-heaven, by the way, I believe is simply saying that this angel is, that John looks and he sees this angel up in the sky. In other words, and there's been a lot of angels, right? If you've been in this study, the angels have shown up time and time again throughout this study. Uh, but this angel is not up in heaven. He doesn't see him around the throne or anything like that. And he's not on the earth with John. I think it's saying that John looks up into the sky and he sees this, this angel. And he has a message to bring. Now, it makes sense that God would send an angel to bring this message because... If you remember, or if you've, you've read this before, the word angel simply means messenger. And this first angel, of which there are several, by the way, in chapter 14, we're going to see several angels show up. This is the first one. This is this first messenger who brings this message that God has for him to bring. And the message, 
as he's flying in mid-heaven, says that he having an eternal gospel. That's an interesting phrase, an eternal gospel. Now, the question is, what does this phrase mean? What is meant by the phrase eternal gospel? Let me tell you that there are mixed opinions on this. There are some people that believe that this gospel message is simply a message of judgment, that God has sent this angel simply to announce that his judgment has come. I am of the belief, however, that this message that, that John refers to as an eternal gospel, I believe that this gospel is the gospel. I believe that the eternal gospel that this angel is announcing here is the gospel, that it's the same message that you and I are challenged and charged with bringing to the world around us. Remember, the word gospel simply means good news. That's what it means, the Greek, euangelion, good news. And one of the reasons I believe that the message that this angel is bringing is actually the the message that you and I are called to, that it's the message of salvation, that it's the message of hope, is because of the very fact that it's referred to as a gospel. Remember, the word means what? I just said it. word means what? Good news. And pardon my English, it ain't good news if it doesn't offer some hope. So I think that this angel is bringing this message, this... uh, this, this offer of hope to the people, having an eternal message to preach to those who live on the earth. So the angel brings, is bringing a message to the people. And I believe that the message is this message, as I said a moment ago, that offers hope to the world around them. If, you, if you've been with us in this study, and, and just to remind you, if you weren't, or to remind you, or to bring you up to speed, if you weren't with us last week, chapter 14 of the book of Revelation is like God hitting the fast forward on the DVD button. God fast forwards to the end. He shows us what the end looks like before the story in the book of Revelation, as it carries on out, before the story actually gets there, chapter 14 fast forwards us to it so that we can see it. Now, the details, much of the details will come out in in the chapters as we progress through it. But chapter 14 is basically a synopsis of the events that will transpire at the end of time. And I believe what we are seeing in verses 6 and 7 is God sending an angel with this message one more time, offering hope to the people living during that time. It will be a hopeless time. By the time we get to this point in the tribulation period, it is not a good time in the life of of the people living. The Antichrist will, will, will be in control. He will have established his kingdom. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. And the people living in the world will have very little hope. But the angel comes, I believe, with one more opportunity for the people to respond. And we've already seen in Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000 converted Jews, Jews who come to faith in Jesus that go to bring out a worldwide evangelism. We've already seen that. We've already seen in Revelation chapter 11, the two witnesses that come to proclaim and, and to substantiate, verify the word of God. And here in Revelation chapter 14, I think what we're seeing is one last chance for the people to respond. At this point in their lives, uh, the establishment of the Antichrist kingdom, they, they have a choice to make. 
people are receiving the mark of the beast. We talked about that last week. We'll talk about it again some more next week. But God comes. God sends an angel one more time to offer one more piece of hope for them to respond to it. Flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. And then in verse 8, a second angel, another angel shows up saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Notice that there is no mention of the word gospel in this message. No mention of this, of this gospel, this eternal gospel, no mention of gospel at all. The reason is because I don't think there's any good news in this message for those to which this message is intended. This message is purely an announcement of God's judgment that is about to fall on, as the text says, Babylon the Great. Now, in the Old Testament, Babylon was a city. It was a great city. It was a magnificent city. It held, in fact, one of the seven ancient seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was apparently, by all historical accounts, an absolutely amazing place. But it was also a place of decadence and sinfulness and immorality. And if you remember the history from the Old Testament, God's people were carried off into captivity to that very place. And God's judgment eventually fell on the city of Babylon. But in prophecy, in end times prophecy, it appears that Babylon the Great is used to symbolize the Antichrist's economic and political system. That world system that we talked about over the last couple of weeks that he is going to establish on the earth. There's a religious branch of it, and we talked about that last week, but there's also an economic and political system that the Antichrist will set up. And the implication of the message of the angel here in verse 8 is that God's judgment is going to come on this, this economic and political system that the Antichrist has established on the earth. Remember, basically setting himself up as king, as God, as, as ruler of everything. So, so one angel brings a message of hope, The other angel brings a message of doom and destruction. So, the BP squared, the the big picture biblical principle then, uh, looks like this. Good news comes down and bad news falls down. In verse 6 and 7, God charges an angel to come down with good news. Gospel. Give one more announcement before the second angel comes and announces that the evil empire of the Antichrist will fall down. It will come crashing down under the weight of God's judgment. That's just the way it's going to be. For those living in the end times, whenever that is, a year from now, 50 years from now, I don't know. I can't say for sure. But the Antichrist's economic and political power will be incredible, and it will be evil And as I said at the beginning, there will not be many options for people living during that time. And God's judgment is, this is coming down. Remember chapter 14? Fast forward to the end, that it's all going to come crashing down. I want to talk to you for a few moments about this gospel. As I said earlier, chapter 7 of Revelation, the 144,000 go out, worldwide crusade. It's going to be an amazing 
time, no doubt, millions will come to faith in Christ. Chapter 11, the two witnesses come out and proclaim the certainty of God's word. And here in chapter 14, the first angel comes and he announces, hey, turn to God. Give him your life. Don't identify basically with the Antichrist. All of that transpires during the tribulation period. So my question is, what about now? What about now? Who has the responsibility to take this gospel? Gospel means what? Who has the responsibility to take this good news to the people now? We do, right? Those of us who have tasted of the grace of God and received his peace and his pardon into our lives, we have that responsibility. Those of us who have come to a a place in our lives where we recognized our need for God and our need to walk in a relationship with him, we've received the responsibility to take that good news. Now, Jesus uh, said this in uh, John chapter 4. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest in the context of John chapter 4. In other words, he's saying all around us right now, everywhere are people that are hurting and helpless and hopeless. All around us are people who, who are in dire need of relationship with the living God. As some of you heard uh, a few weeks ago in a message by David Platt that we played here on video, you may remember this statistic that he said that there are 1.7 billion people living on the planet right now that have little to no access to the gospel. And you and I, who have tasted of the grace of God, need to be asking ourselves, what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do? Because quite honestly, I think that we ought to give a rip about our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends and the 1.7 billion who have never heard the message of Jesus, who've never heard that God's made a way for them. So, what do we know about this, this gospel from this angel's message? I, I want to give you really just quickly just three ideas about this. What do we know about this gospel? Well, here's, here's what we know about it. For one thing, we know that this, this gospel, this good news, is eternal. That's exactly what the angel calls it, an eternal gospel. In other words, this message, this good news, has eternal implications to it. Now, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to stop and think about this for a moment, please. This is eternity that we're discussing here. Where men and women will spend eternity. Now listen, I know that that is a concept that is difficult for us to even begin to get our minds around. I I know that. But the Bible teaches that you and I were created to be eternal beings, eternal creatures. The Bible says that God has given us an eternal spirit. As I heard Andy Stanley say recently in a message, we believe that everybody will live forever somewhere. And that somewhere is determined by whether they would identify with, place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, God's redemptive plan to make it possible for you and I to be forgiven of our sins by His grace only through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And if a person says yes to that, 
They spend eternity with God, and if they say no, they spend eternity in a place prepared for the devil and his demons called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, I don't like that. God's not taking a vote. He's not running for political office. He's not trying to win any popularity contests. He's simply saying, this is what I've done. I've created you to be eternal. I've made it possible for you, even though you have sinned against me, I've made it possible for you to have a relationship with me through my son. It's eternal. It's forever. We need to remember that. People's eternal destinies are at stake here. Not only is this good news eternal, this good news is also global. The text says every nation and tribe and tongue and people. This is, I believe, good news that everybody needs, because the Bible says all of sin comes short of the standard, the mark of God. I believe it's, a, it's, a, it's good news that everybody needs, and I believe it's good news that everybody can receive. I'm not saying everybody will, but I'm saying everybody can receive it. It's global. And it needs to go into every corner of the earth because, as I said, 1.7 billion people have never even heard for the first time that God's made a way for them. And that ought to make a difference to us. I, uh, years ago, I was in Kenya, Africa, and my interpreter and I were walking down this trail one day and we came uh, uh, upon a typical uh, house in that part of Kenya where we were, western Kenya, a uh, mud hut with grass roof and, and dirt floor. And, and there at that house was, was an old man, a very old man by Kenyan standards because that way of life out in the bush, if you will, uh, is not easy on the body. And, um, and people didn't usually live to the age that he had lived to, which if I remember right, was like his late 70s or early 80s. And he showed us where his wife was buried beside his hut. And he showed us where his son was buried beside his hut. And he basically told us that he was just waiting for death to come to him. He had a Bible. It was in English. He couldn't read a lick of it. I don't know whether he could even read his own language, but he he sure couldn't read English. But somewhere along the way, somehow, somebody had given him a Bible or he had gotten a copy of the Bible or something. And he knew that that this was God's Word. He knew that this was about God. And he said to us that he wanted to know God before he died. And then he said, and I'll never forget this, but I have no one to show me the way. And I was very pleased to open his own Bible and turn to this very familiar passage of Scripture where Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. It's global. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter whether it's across the street from your house or across the world. It's a global message. It doesn't discriminate against anybody based on their language or their nationality or their skin color or their economic status or anything else. It's the message of hope and help for everybody. It's global. And then uh, one more idea about this uh, good news. It's total. Now, I'm going to get up on my soapbox here for a little bit, all right? This good news is total. For too long, I believe, you don't have to agree with me, for too long, I believe the church, meaning the evangelical church around the world, has peddled an easy believism, has peddled a cheap grace 
to people. Now, here's what I mean by that. Listen to me carefully because I don't want you to get, go, go out of here mad. At least not if I can help it. We believe as, as a church, as, as evangelists, we believe that salvation is, as I said a few moments, absolutely a free gift that comes as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That God imparted His grace, which which made it possible for us to be forgiven through the finished work of Christ on the cross and only through the finished work of Christ on the cross. The Bible so beautifully puts it in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 when it says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Let me read that again. For it is by grace you have been saved. What a minute. You're saying I can't, I can't be good enough? No. For it is by grace you have been saved. You're saying I can't give enough money? No. For it is by grace you have been saved. You're saying I, 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 if I'm famous? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by, what's that next word? Say it. Works. Not by works so that no one can boast. And to that we say amen, hallelujah. Bring the curtain down. And so what do we do? What has is, what is the church done as a result of these two verses? We've told people, oh, well now, see there, all you got to do is just ask Jesus into your heart. Just pray this prayer because it's absolutely a free gift. You can't earn it. So you just pray this prayer and you ask Jesus into your heart and, uh, and then it's just gonna, everything will be okay and you're going to float along and everything will be fine and, and, and you're going to get to go to heaven when you die, which is absolutely true. But we never give them the hard verses that go with salvation, do we? We never give them this one that Jesus said In Mark chapter 8, then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his followers. And he said, if people want to follow me, now listen to what he says now. This is is tough. You're not going to get a whole lot of people signing up probably to join your band with this. If people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want. They must be willing even to give up their lives to follow me. That's the hard stuff. Well, wait a minute. I I thought I could just pray this prayer. And and I'm just telling you. We fail to give them the hard verses that Jesus says. Anybody, he says, anybody that wants to follow me has to give up what you want. What you think is best for your life, the plans or expectations or hopes or dreams or anything like that, you have to surrender it. You've got you to surrender it at the feet of God and say, God, I'm yours. You have to be willing to lay down your life, either literally or certainly uh, practically, certainly spiritually, and say, God, my life is yours. It's not mine. And follow me. He says, you know what we don't do? We don't give them verse 10. In that great Ephesians passage, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where this, this glorious gospel is shared and it so clearly communicates that it's by faith and faith alone that we are saved and it's not of our work so that nobody can take credit for it. We always stop there. We never give them verse 10. Why is that? I think it's because if we gave them verse 10, we're afraid that, f- that, that fewer people would be willing to, to sign up for it. So why don't we do that? Why don't we, why don't we read it all? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Here's verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Here we go. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Watch this. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's the total gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the whole gospel. Can I tell you that? I just, uh, 
some of the most frustrating conversations I have had are with people who have no interest in the church, no interest in the things of God, no interest in growing in a relationship with Him, no interest in serving, no interest in going, no interest in any of that stuff, but they'll look you right in the eye and they'll say, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die because I believe in Jesus. Really? Which Jesus would that be? The one that goes around throwing out get out of hell free cards like pixie dust? Or the Jesus that said, if you're really my disciple, you will lay down your life and follow me. Because I'm telling you right now, one of those Jesus is biblical and the other one is not. It's the total gospel. It's the complete gospel. It's the full message that Christ died for your sins. And you can have a relationship with him that will bring you peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment and forgiveness from your sins. And you're giving him your life and he's exchanging it and giving you his eternal life. He's calling the shots from now on. You're surrendering your life to him and following him. It's the total gospel. Listen to what the angel says there in that latter part of verse 6. where He says, or sorry, in verse 7, give him glory. Worship him. Be in, by the way, it also says fear God. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God like you're afraid of the boogeyman or something like that. It means to be in awe of God. It means to recognize, at least in some way, who God is. I know we can never fully comprehend who God is, but to be, to be in fear of God means to be in awe of God, which means to understand, at least in some way, who He is and what He has done. Fear God. That's what, that's what the angel says to the people. Fear God. Glorify God. Worship Him, which, ladies and gentlemen, is more than just singing the songs on Sunday morning. It means surrendering every single ounce of who I am, what I have, and what I will do with my life. Every bit of it to lay it at his feet and follow him. If, uh, if this seems like a hard message to you, imagine what it will be like for people living during the tribulation period. Imagine what it will be like for them. Because if... If you've not received the mark of the beast, and as I said, we looked at that some last week, and we're going to look at it again next week. But if you've not received the mark of the beast, you can't buy food, you can't sell food, you can't have land, you can't find a place to live, you can't hold a job, you can't do anything. And to receive Christ as your Savior will almost certainly mean imprisonment, persecution, and death. But this is eternity that we're talking about here. We believe that everybody's going to live forever somewhere. I've chosen Christ. I've chosen to receive him as my Savior and to ask him to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life. I've chosen to follow him with my life. I don't always get it right. Sometimes it's amazing to me how bad I can blow it. But I've chosen to follow him with my life and to surrender to him and let him do whatever he can do with this mess. Whatever he can do with it, I've chosen to give it to him. And I've chosen to take this message to as many people as I possibly can for as long as I can until I kick the can. What have you chosen? Have you chosen Christ? Or is it something you've just played with? Do you believe in Him? Or do you believe in Him? Are you willing to take this message, this gospel, this good news to those who need to hear it? What have you chosen? It's a good question today. Eternal, global, and total. 
The gospel encompasses all three aspects of the angel's message. Today in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 8, we've seen again just how far God's grace is extended. His willingness to send an angel with a final opportunity for the people of the earth to follow him shows just how much God loves us. The second angel's message, just as importantly, reminds us that Satan and his antichrist's world system will fall when the judgment of God comes. How good it is to know that we who know Christ as our Savior are safe in His grace. Like the angel of Revelation 14, we've been entrusted with this message of good news. Our calling is to faithfully deliver that message to those without Christ before it is eternally too late. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.